last week we left off, uh, or last time, but last week, last time. Boy, two weeks go by fast. Doesn't it seem like we met last week? It's like we should do it every month. It'll be like we, we, we did it every two weeks. But No, I know. Well, I mean, but it seems like two weeks goes by so quickly. But we left off with Isaiah uh, chapter 6. And so today we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7 and how it maps into the book of Judges. And uh, we'll continue on that way. So Isaiah chapter 7 and how it maps in with the seventh book of the uh, scriptures, Judges. Isaiah 7 chronicles a man-made confederacy being brought against the southern kingdom of Judah. And you know the history, obviously, all of us here know the history of Judah and Israel and and all of that. So a man-made confederacy brought uh, to the southern kingdom of Judah. And King Ahaz, king of Judah, was deeply troubled and fearful, but deceived himself into still deciding what was right and refused to ask God for counsel in the matter. Now, a lot of us have heard of the legend of King Ahaz. We're going to talk a little bit about that now. But the point is, is there's nothing new under the sun. And, and obviously, what we're looking for here are the parallels between Isaiah being in a miniature Bible and, and the, the, the stark references between each chapter of Isaiah and the book it, in, the, in, the, in the Bible it pertains to. But to look at these little nuggets here, and they're pretty straightforward. He refused to ask God for counsel because he was he was not a very good man. He was not good. He was not a very good king. So, um, and so there's a lot that happens around that. So in Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, we see Israel's incomplete possession of the land, their insufficient victory over evil, and their totally inconsistent manner of living. By the way, that still is kind of working with them today, but. In the days before Israel decided they, were, they really wanted to be just like all of the other nations around them and beg for their own king, and we've talked, to that, we've talked about that a bunch of times here, you know, back in, I think it was 1 Samuel chapter 8, when, when they're begging Samuel, and God says to Samuel, you know what, it's not you they're railing against, because Samuel was taking it personally, it's me. And, and especially if you look at, uh, and we've looked at this again, it, to me it's amazing, it's a great, great little study to look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. And God says to Samuel, you tell them, you tell them they can have their king, but tell them what a king will do. And, you know, man, if you read that chapter and you see exactly what our governments do to us, I mean, it is absolutely amazing. God is amazing. But they still wanted their own way, and God gave them King Saul, and you know, you know that, that history there, right? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so God then allowed the surrounding nations... <coughs> to oppress them a total of seven times, seven times. Each time God raised up judges to deliver them, and that's the cadence of the book of Judges. This is before the, uh, the kings. The judges were to hearken back and acknowledge God as the nation's supreme ruler until the last one, Samuel, which we just talked about, finally was told by God to give Israel the human king that we just talked about in the first king was Saul. Now, by the way, just as a point of reference, you know, th- there has to be still coming, right, the two witnesses. And I personally think they're Moses and Elijah. We talked about that in, in the class back in the days. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what I think. I mean, there's a lot of evidence. We, we covered that pretty well when I was teaching at Elliott Baptist. Oh, yeah. But the point is, is whether it is or not is immaterial. The point is, is what those, those kings, or those kings, those judges are. And they're really going to do the same thing that kind of the judges did here, right? To warn them, to bring them back to the center of what they supposedly are, 
<coughs> are, are about and, and God and his word and, and, and that's before the judgment comes. God usually does that, right? He'll have some sort of prophet to say, hey, look, in this case is the judges and the prophets is the same thing. You know, here is coming judgment and here's what you need to do to avoid it. So we know in First Chronicles, I forgot exactly where it is, but, he's, but you know, it's that passage <coughs> that I think gets applied a little bit too broadly nowadays where it says, if my people who are called by my name repent and turn away and I will... I will relent of the evil I, I suppose to them and, and will heal their land. And, and there's a debate whether that could apply to us. There's also a debate, by the way, if that applied to Nineveh, because you know the story of Nineveh, right? Yeah. So, but... Do you, do you think we have a prophet, actual prophet today? No. There are, who do you think that might be? Well, I'd be very careful with that. No, he's not a prophet. I, I don't know, but the way well, he... Have you heard... Jonathan? I've heard of... I, I, yeah, oh... Oh, I don't. I, okay, so I, I, I know, listen I to what he says about. That man. Yeah, I, I listen to what he says, and, and I agree with some of it. I do, especially the nine eleven and and the whole. But he's, he's but, calling the people to come to the Lord. He's, yeah. He's so is the church. The church is calling the people to come to Christ. It doesn't make us prophets. What I'm saying is, he's looking at the Bible, and we do the same thing as, as the church, right? We look at the Bible. We look, matter of fact, we're doing it right now. We say, how has God done things in the past? How does he say in his word he's going to do it? We just, we just say, right? And, it's, and it says, in the, the whole point of the gospel is, if you repent, right? If you confess with your mouth, right? And believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, and then you will be saved. That's basically saying the same thing. Here is what you need to come to. Here's the conclusion you must come to and believe. Whether it's, com whether it's warnings to Israel, warnings to a nation, right? And, and so what, what, what Jonathan Kahn does, and, and I don't disagree with this, I think it's kind of good, but again, going back to this First Chronicles uh, portion I just mentioned, how much that actually applies to nations other than Israel is debatable. But I think it shows God's character. It shows his heart. It shows what he does. And it's a warning. And like he proved with Nineveh, he shows with Israel. He tells them. And he, yeah. Right. If you do this, I will do that. Right? Because there are two passages back to back. And I can't remember where they are. But it says that, it says this, it reflects First Chronicles. And it says, you know, it, it, it's actually poetic in the way that it says it in the negative in the first part where it says, you know, that um, if a nation turns back, you know, basically, uh, from, and I will, I will relent from the evil I purported to it. But in the following two verses, it says, and um, if a nation that is evil, that, that is good, and so that is evil and turns good, then I will give them the fruit of the land and all this stuff. So my point is, you can knit all of these things together, here a little, there a little, and the message never changes. Whether it's to Jews or to the Gentiles, I mean, sorry, or, or to the Christians, but how much does it apply to the Gentiles? And that is, that is the issue. You know, are we, is this nation, uh, could this nation possibly be called a nation that, uh, you know, that God could say, the people that call themselves by my name? Well, you could argue the point. Could Nineveh be looked upon as that way too? Because they fully repented. Remember from the king on down. They even had the, the animals wearing sackcloth, right? So, and, and God relented from the evil. For, it was over 100 years, I think. But then they fell back and they got destroyed the way that they went the way of Sodom, right? So if you think about that, and also Nimrod founded Nineveh and Sodom. So, you know, so, so it, my point is, is that if, so, if a nation or if a peoples repent, 
are they considered God's people if they call by my name? I'm, I'm just saying, there's a big debate. But Jonathan Kahn is, I think, doing the right thing in, in saying what he says and calling how God did things in Isaiah and he how... He reminds me of the, Samuel, when Samuel... Right, but he's not a prophet. prophet. Yeah. Be, God is not... There are no more prophets. The prophets were sent to Israel. Right? There are no prophets today. Really? The gift of prophecy. But I don't see Jonathan, I don't see anybody coming up with new prophecies. I don't see any, I don't know. like a prophet can, can, can tell you what's going to happen, but prophets nowadays are not revealing anything new. That's my point. And if that's what you're saying, he's not doing that. I think there are people who, like, we can be, pro, we can, we can, I don't know, just tell me what your thoughts are. I mean, I do, but what does that really mean? That's the point. What is the gift of prophecy? We have, we have, we have prophecy. That so that God be given a word of prophecy and to reveal. Okay, so so here's the thing: prophecy. If you look at what prophecy it says about prophecy in the Bible, among other things, right? It says that if a pro, if someone says something is going to happen and they call themselves a prophet, and it doesn't come to happen, then they're not a prophet. So by definition, a prophet is given something that is heretofore not known. And, and I, I, you know, I look at that and I say, okay, people can have like dreams and visions. Are those prophets? Are people who have dreams? Because a lot of people, especially now more than ever, are saying they've had dreams and visions. But, uh, but we don't know. I mean, is there anything new that they're bringing? That's what I'm, sa that's what I'm saying. Well, I don't know. Well, I, think I think that's what the Lord revealed to me. Would but, uh, it, I mean, yeah. the way I, I hear the man talking and the way he's calling the nation like Samuel or did yeah. the same thing with the, with the nation of Israel and so um, uh, I see him doing almost the same thing Samuel. he is doing the same so, thing he's warning them you know, and he's actually he's saying this is the, actually he didn't say when it's going to happen but I said this is going to happen yeah and I forgot to start my timer yeah but we could go off, we can go down this rabbit trail. I just think that for me anyway, I think there's the gift of prophecy. And I think the, one of the gifts of prophecy is like hopefully I've, I've had some of that where I understand more of, of I don't know, how, I mean, God has given to me understand to be able to teach it, how things map into the prophecies that are already given, how things map into how things are going to come. And, and I think what, what I think, Jonathan Kahn. And that's what wowed me with what he had in the Harbinger, right? Is he, he, he looked at 9-11 and, and looked at what the, the, uh, the Speaker of the House and all of them said, and he applied it because they actually quoted Scripture, and so they're quoting a prophetic that. judgment against this nation. Yeah. But I, I, I draw a line myself with saying, well, that is not prophecy that he's giving, Jonathan Kahn. He's just knitting together that what God said and how he says it is true and it applies to other nations and that's where we were headed with. but, but anyway we can, we can debate that I, I think the gift of prophecy is here um, as a matter of fact it does say that in the final in the last days you know old men shall uh, what, dream dreams and, and have vision so I, I'm not 100% sure of how all that works but I, I personally don't think that there's any new revelations there's nothing new the Bible is complete I think what happens is, is that detail is given to how things are coming to pass. That's happening. Like I know, for instance, I believe that there are people who get visions or dreams 
that are vivid they say look I see you know something particular happening to America like maybe some sort of like a lot of them a lot a bunch of them are saying that they're seeing a tsunami on the west coast or the east coast uh, they're seeing troops foreign troops in their visions you know I don't I don't think I, I don't know for sure but I don't discount yeah, that those are warnings from God in a vision but that's nothing new. It's just more detail on how it's going to roll out. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I think you're, you're uh, drawing an arbitrary line that doesn't necessarily exist. Yeah. Well, I'm not limiting God, but he limits himself. Like he says, that he, there, there are certain things that God cannot or will not do. And, and I, but the, he, the gift of prophecy is one of the gifts that's listed right. in, the, in the New Testament. I guess that's how you define prophecy. And, uh, I mean, it's not to a nation the way the prophets of old spoke to Israel because it's a different time. Right. I agree with you. I just don't. But we, I think we just agree on how much the, where the fine line of prophecy is. But anyway, so the main purpose, though, is that we agree that this is what this is what had happened, and God allowed the surrounding nations to finally oppress. We know that they were warned um, through Samuel and so forth, and the judges brought them back. And every time they were brought back, they failed again, and all that stuff. So, the main purpose in both Isaiah seven and the Book of Judges is summed up nicely. In Judges 21 and verse 25. And, and that's the key verse of Judges, the book of Judges. And it says here, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Okay, I, that's pretty ubiquitous, but, but that's really what happened. So if, I go, if you go, I'm just going to read 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious or rare in those days, and there was no open vision. And see, this is, this is kind of what I'm leading to how, what I think. Because of the, the, the anarchy or the chaos, whatever you want to call it, there was no open prophecy. There was no open vision given through the prophets of the people. It was kind of curtailed because of that. So the word of the Lord was was precious or rare in those days and there was no open vision and, and if you think of the famine which by the way is talked about in the end times too right especially in the latter days church there's a famine of the word and then and and in the context of that this the same thing that i think happens that there's no open vision and and but what i think again is that because there's a famine of the word god isn't even going to give them detail on the word and how it's going to pan out in those days because they don't want to know anyway so in effect it's the same kind of thing but anyway I'm going to read Isaiah, if you want to follow me there, Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. Sometimes I really like, as you know, to read from that. So Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. Um, and, and here is chronicled a conspiracy of the kings of Syria and the wayward northern kingdom of Israel to attack and take Jerusalem from Judah. I mean, this is before the, the, the Assyrian capture. But this is how evil Israel was against Judah. So listen to this. Um, now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, 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 sounds like a candy, uh, king of Aram, which is Syria, 
and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, um, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but they could not conquer it. When the house of David, or Judah, was told, a ram is allied with Ephraim, or Israel, like the northern kingdom, the hearts of Ahaz and his people trembled as the trees of the forest tremble in the, weir, in the wind. Basically, they were knock kneed scared because this is a sizable force between Syria and Israel. In verse 3, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Hmm, isn't that interesting? These guys are knock kneed right? They're scared. Then the Lord says to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, king of Judah, you and your son. So now Isaiah is going to be sent directly to King Ahaz. Shir Jeshub, at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool, on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, now Isaiah is going to say this to Ahaz, take care and be calm. It's like, be still, calm down. Do not fear and be weak-hearted because of these two stumps of smoldering logs on account of the fierce anger of King Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia, uh, the usurper of the throne of Israel, because Aram, along with Ephraim or Israel, and the son of Ramalia have planned evil against you, Judah, Ahaz, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrorize it, and let us breach it with its walls and tear it apart, each of us taking a portion, and set up the son of Tabil over it as its puppet king. So you see what they're trying to do. Sounds like what they're trying to do today, too. But the Catholic Church and, you know, and all that. But, um, verse 7. For this is what the Lord God says. It shall not stand, nor it shall, shall it happen. For the head, or the capital of Aram, is Damascus. And the head of Damascus is King Rezin. Now, within 65 years of Ephraim, will be broken to pieces and will no longer be a people. This is predicting the Assyrian capture. Um, and the head, this is verse 9, and the head or the capital of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son, King Pekah. Now listen to this. If you will not believe and trust in God and His message, be assured that you will not be established. Now this is what Isaiah had to say to good old King Ahaz. right? So now Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16, speak speak to God making oh sorry I, oh, I didn't finish that sentence I gotta finish that um, but go to Isaiah 7 10 to 16 and as you're going there and you remember what we just read King Ahaz is still still insisted on doing what was right in his own eyes so he Isaiah went to him and he he was told all of this I mean this is pretty plain and he still decided he was gonna do what was right in his own eyes just as every man in the book of Judges <laughs> decided to lawlessly do what was right in their own eyes instead of and, and he but Ahaz did it under the under the guise of obedience to God like they did so here's Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 through 16 then the Lord spoke to King Ahaz saying I ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God one that will convince you that God has spoken and will keep his word this is now the amplified parenthetical thing here Make your request as deep as Sheol, or the grave, or as high as heaven. Now listen to this. Now, that's quite the thing for God to say to somebody, right? But Ahaz said, I will not ask. It's like, are you crazy? Yeah. 
nor will I test the Lord. Now, 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 look at that phrase. Look at that phrase. What do you detect Ahaz is doing in that phrase? He's saying that he won't ask, but he's couching it as if he's obeying the Lord, right? Because God says, do not test. Yeah. But in the book of Malachi, God says, prove me now herewith, right? So what I'm saying is God... He was afraid to test the Lord. Well, that's what he, he, was, what he was saying here, is he didn't want to disobey the Lord because the Lord had said not to test him. Right in the face when God's saying, and God is actually doing this in a specific way to prove that Ahaz is, is a rebel. He's saying, ask for me a sign and, and make it huge. Make it big. And he's saying, Ahaz is saying, oh, no, 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 no. We're not supposed to ask you for a test you at all, even in the smallest thing. Can you, you're now telling me to test you in a big thing? That's like a really big sin, and I don't want to do it. No, he was saying that, uh, couching disobedience in obedience. Do you, do you get the drift here? This is going back to the way they were in the time of the judges. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Verse 13, then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, the whole house. Is it too small a thing for you to try the patience of men, but will you try the patience of my God as well? I mean, this is not, he's blasting this out. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, you see how, you see how God does this? Didn't he do the same thing with Moses? Didn't he do the same thing with Abraham? Right? And, and I think a couple of others, too. Where he says, you know, here's something I'm going to offer you, or do this or do that, and see what the answer is. Now, we know that God already knows what the answer is. So he tested Ahaz, and Ahaz did not pass the test. I wonder if I would pass a test like that, if God, not that he appears to me, <laughs> but if he ever said, actually, he does say that to us in Scripture. Ask anything in my name, and I will do it. But how many times, what does he actually mean by that? Because I've asked for a million bucks a few times, and it hasn't actually done that. And I've asked in his name, too. So we have to understand when he speaks to us directly in Scripture what he's saying. Obviously, I had to learn that. It took me a while to actually learn that, but I did. And because um, we were also told to wait on the Lord, and there's a lot of other things you have to put together. So here we have to apply the same thing. It's like, it's like um, where it says, you go say to this mountain, go jump into the sea. Yeah. Right. But is it in God's will? Right. That's the thing. I can have faith that will do it, but it's not in God's will. It's not going to happen. That doesn't lessen my faith in it. You're exactly right. But there are some uh, wayward churches out there who might tell you, well, you know, you don't have enough faith. It's like those healing churches. Oh, yeah, for, you know, we'll, we'll pray over you, and for some money we'll, you know, we'll, we'll tell you how you can pray to God to be healed. And, and when you're not healed, guess whose fault it is? It's yours because you didn't have enough faith. You're, you're right, exactly. So this is the problem here. But we see Ahaz was a rebel, and a rebellious spirit will always twist Scripture, will always twist things. And, and honestly, going back to what we were talking about a little while ago, that's my concern. Because I, I, like you, watch now more than ever. And I'm seeing now more than ever so many people saying that they are talking that God gave them this to say and God gave them this that to say. And one thing I'm going to bring up here, which I, I don't know if I said it last time, but I'm seeing it a lot now. And it's, it's really bothering me, bothering me a lot. There's this whole evangelical push around Donald Trump. Have you noticed that? I mean, this man is now the Savior. 
which, which makes me start thinking he's really a candidate for the Antichrist. There's a guy who's a fireman. Have you heard of this? I forgot his name. I have it, I have it, I have it on the on line there. And I heard, part of, I heard of an interview by some Christian evangelist. This guy, ever hear of True News? Ever hear of that? True News? It's TRU News. It's, it's a website. But they, they do news and, and stuff like that. Well, they're very prophetic in nature. Very, very prophetic. But they have people on who have dreams and visions and stuff like that. So anyway, so I was listening to one show because I had heard that this fireman, who knows who this guy is? He co- they had him on the show, and I actually listened to the show. And he said that God has been giving him visions and dreams and so forth about Donald Trump ever since the mid-2000s. But he's serious. Now, at least he sounds serious, right? And he is saying, and, and, and I'm telling you, Trump is, and he, they actually said it. He said it, that God said, God made it clear to him in all of these dreams and visions that Trump was going to run. Oh, and by the way, he did. Isn't that amazing? How I can, I can look back and tell you in 2006, I knew that Trump was going to run now, but I'm telling you that now. He's already running. And people believe this stuff. So they actually use the, the phrase that he is God's anointed. I mean, and, and, but people are buying into this with, with, and nothing. And that's what has me concerned. So it's this kind of stuff, you know? But, you, but what I'm saying is, is there's got to be purpose and it's got to be in God's word. There is nothing about Donald Trump or any kind of pseudo savior. The only thing it says about a pseudo savior is that this person is going to rise on a platform and will deceive many and come up when he gets to a certain point of power, then he will be able to sign a peace treaty among many peoples in Israel. By the way, it'll probably be the resurrection or the enforcement of a two-state solution that's already on the table, which I think is probably going to happen. And, and you see my point, and that's what I was trying to say before. So if you look at this, going back to this Ahaz stuff, right? Making it sound godly to be disobeying God. I will not touch God's anointed. Okay, wait a minute. Who made Trump God's anointed? Oh, no, don't ask that question because God told me he is. Oh, good. Then we have to back him as the Christians. You see how twisted that gets? I'm telling you, it's, it's bad. What would you say? It doesn't make any sense, but there's a lot of people who are, who are following this. I mean, really, there's a lot of people. There's a guy named... Um, Gallup. Have you heard of Gallup? He's a, he's a pastor in Florida. I, I think of him because I, I, you know, the Gallup poll. He's not, I don't think he's involved in that, but his name is Gallup. And I heard him, he's, a, he's been on all these different talk shows, and I think True News is probably one of them. But um, he has been one of these that I've heard before on YouTube, and he's been one of these who's been, he's a pastor supposedly, very vocal about Donald Trump. He is the man for this now. He, we have to back him as Christians. It's our Christian duty to do so. So anyway, nothing new under the sun, right? Anyway, so let's go back to chapter, uh, verse 14. So he says, um, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is what Isaiah is saying. Now he's saying, listen carefully. Ah, what's the sign? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's great. I'd say, yeah, that's, that's definitely a sign from God. <laughs> and, and how do we know, by the way, how can you judge? Isaiah is a prophet, right? And, and like, the, like the judges in those days, they had things that God told them to say, right? And, and they were bringing them back to the center of, of God's word. And Isaiah is basically doing the same thing here and saying, God himself will give you a sign. 
through Ahaz's disobedience. By the way, if you think about it, isn't that the major sign throughout all Scripture? Isn't that the crux of the matter? And so if you think of God's request to Ahaz, not only ask me for a sign, but make it as big and as wide as you could possibly do. What's the biggest and biggest and brightest and best sign God could prophesy? The sending of, his, of Jesus as his son. I mean, so you see the connection here? And it's like, so, so Isaiah is almost like mocking him. So God himself is going to supply the sign. And he's going to make it as deep as Sheol. By the way, that's where Jesus had to go to clean it out. And, and as high as heaven. Sounds pretty cool. It's amazing to me that you read that. It's like, he says, so, so listen, goes, listen carefully. Now, how do we know that Isaiah is not a false prophet? Well, because we know that that came true. But back in his day, it hadn't come true yet. and It wasn't going to be for quite a few hundred years. But if you look at back in Genesis, you see the first iteration of that same prophecy or sign. And that's another proof point. Is the prophecy somewhere alluded to in Scripture? Is, this, is the prophecy somewhere backed by the word of God directly somewhere? And that's, why I, that's how I measure prophecy. I guess that's the best way I can say it. Because someone can say, hey, God gave me a prophecy. You're going to be wealthy. God gave me a prophecy six years ago, 25 years ago. You know, my grandfather had a prophecy like God had, had talked about Cyrus over 500 years before he came on the scene. Well, my great-great-grandfather wrote in a, in a piece of paper before he died, Donald Trump. And he said, don't open it until 2005. I could say that. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is the point. So we got to, that's, that's what I'm saying. Prophecy is a very dangerous thing. But anyway, does Scripture back it? But listen to this. This is so good. And, and, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means what? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. It's the, you can't be any more plain than that. And listen to this. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to refuse. Ah, when he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. So what is that? Just basically, I, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I love this because the nuances of God's word. You know, there's no historical book that we can trust that talks about Jesus as you, Right. You know, this isn't the Gospel of Thomas or something. Uh, there's one of them that talks about Jesus, and he killed a bat bird or turned it into a bat or something. You, have you heard of that, that book? Yeah, I've heard of that. I mean, it's, it's one of them. It's, it's like, are you really? Really? Uh, but anyway, because uh, he got mad at this kid for something. But the point is, is that, so we see here that he will eat curds and honey when he, when he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. So does that saying that, when Jesus was growing up, he was God, obviously, from before birth, but he had to learn. I remember he was stood in the temple and he learned, and finally, when he was old enough to stand up and quote from what book? From what book? Isaiah. And when he was old enough and he had learned, and he had learned at the feet of the people who he chided. Isn't that amazing? So you could see right here the prophecy of how he was going to grow up, right in that one sentence. To me, that's amazing. So, you know, because I always wondered... Did Jesus, was he born? I mean, he was born God, right? But how much of godliness did he divest himself of his power? Because we know that Jesus even said, the Son of Man did not know the day or the hour. I bet you he knows it now. But because he was human, God didn't reveal that to him then. But so did he have to learn the tenets of the basic scriptures like any Jew would as he was growing up? Well, of course, 
being aided by the Holy Spirit, and he didn't sin. But I, I just think that's amazing to me. And I, it's just fabulous. Anyway, um, verse 16. For before the child will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land, Canaan, whose two kings you dread, will be deserted, both Ephraim and, and Aram. Wow, so this is going to happen before he, he grows up. I'm not quite sure of all, how all that works, but that's what it says. So, Anyway, time doesn't permit us, especially because we keep going off on these little rat trails, rabbit trails, but I love them. Time does not permit the comparison of the rest of the chapters of Isaiah to their respective books. I, I, I know I, I was enjoying this too, but it would take a long time to keep going. So what I figured I'd do is I'm going to wrap up this miniature Bible investigation here by going forward to Isaiah's chapter 40 to 43, which map into the four Gospels. And I thought that would be a good way of, of ending this. And you're going to find, you know, I, I think it's kind of abstract because there's so much history in the Old Testament. You have to look at, and that's, by the way, I, I think I mentioned this when you were here. There's not a lot of information about this that you can just find and study and learn, you know. I had to do digging, and it took a long time. That's one of the things. I just don't have the time to dig like this to find the parallels and the main theme of a certain book and the main theme of that mate chapter in Isaiah and, and do this. And, and it was difficult. It was fun, but it was difficult. Um, but it was, it's a lot easier to do it for the four Gospels. I mean, but it is amazing. It's, it's more intuitive, too, because we naturally gravitate to the Gospel better. So let's take a look at that. How Isaiah's chapter 40 to 43 map into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think this is amazing. So if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 40, it corresponds with the book of Matthew, right? Now, I don't have to review here that, among other things, there are four Gospels and not five and not three for, very, for four distinct reasons, right? And the major thing is that Matthew shows that he's the king of the Jews. Mark shows that he's the most humble servant, that counted his life as the most meek. To, to be, you know, to be sacrificed for us. Matthew, Mark, Luke, he was also a very man, which was which, which chronicled by the physician, Luke. And John is a very, is not even one of the synoptic gospels because John is very different because it tracks him as deity. And if you look at the cadence of John and what John says about that, that there were miracles. Many things he did that would even fill old, many books, you know, in the universe, I think he, he put it. However, you know, um, but the whole point was so that you would believe. Because it's not just enough to believe that Jesus Christ came, that he's the king of the Jews, right? That he was a man. It's easy enough to believe that he was a servant. You could believe that too. You have to be 100% sure that he is God in his very DNA. Otherwise, you can't be saved. So if that's why that book, to me anyway, is separate from all of the others. And that is the point of that book too, right? He said, blessed are those who believe and have that's right. Amen to that. But we have to believe that he is God. Yeah. Because there are many people, who, like, for instance, there's really nobody, especially with historical data, that can honestly deny that Jesus even existed. Right? It's like if you ask somebody, you know, did, was George Washington president of the United States? Well, yeah, well, how do you know that? Did you ever meet him? No. Well, you have, but you do know that. No, because there's plenty of historical evidence, so I have faith in the fact that he did exist. He was a man, blah, blah. Same thing with Jesus. But was he, like to the Jews, he was a good man. He was a prophet. To the Muslims, he's Isa, the good man, prophet. But where he stepped over the line and why they have to, you know, basically say he's, he's anathema is because he called himself the son of God. He made himself equal with Allah in their eyes, who they think is God. So that's the problem. So John is a problem book. John is the distinctive book. But that's the problem for anybody who 
wants to believe only to a certain point. Again, being disobedient. I'll believe in Jesus enough, but I don't want to go over that edge because then I have to commit my life to him. And, and I, I don't want to go that far. That's what they say. That's, they, that's what they think anyway. So let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 1 through 5. It says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says the Lord. So this is now a cadence of comfort. Now think, think of what you know about the book of Matthew and the Gospels in general, but think of the New Testament as the comfort, right? I mean, honestly, isn't the New Testament the fulfillment of all the dangling participles, all the longings, all the unfulfilled things, the, the completion of sin, all of those things that, that the Jews wanted, that the world was waiting for, that was promised, but yet had not come, right? And then there was that 430 or so years of silence, the intertestinal period. A lot went on, but God wasn't even really... Where are those years? Well, the Maccabees. Yeah, where are those years? They're, they're documented. Years. Yeah, between Malachi and Matthew. Yeah, right. The, the Maccabees, all of that stuff with the, the, uh, the, the last battle there, you know, at the Masad. Not Masad. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking... Masada. I'm thinking of Masada. I'm getting the Masada, yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Thank you. We were there, too. But anyway, so it's amazing. So just think of the, the beauty of especially the introduction of the first four Gospels to show here is the promise of the prophecy we just read in Isaiah of the one who is the crux, right, the cross of time to now bring to completion in the final 2,000 years, or it's, it's well, 3,000, if you want to call it that, but with the millennium. But this is the completion. This is the beginning. So God's saying, comfort ye, my people. Now, if you look at a lot of what Isaiah said, there wasn't a lot of comfort ye, my people, going on in his book, right? But here, just as it maps into the book of Matthew, which is the beginning of the real comfort section of the Bible, right? I mean, really, if you look at the books of the Bible about the beginnings of the church, and even with all of the strife and all the things going on, it was a book of hope. It was a book of how, here's how you are once you are saved. You can't lose that salvation. Here's how you are to act. Here's how you are to, to be. Here's how to be with the brethren who are like you, with growing in Christ, growing in salvation. You don't see that in the Old Testament. And, and I think, well, you, you see the, 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 the forward look to it. But I'm saying, the, the, I'm just trying to amplify the point that those Gospels are the opening, you know, door number one, door number two, door number three. The prize is between door number three. That's when you open the door and the first thing you see is the book of Matthew. And you know you've got the prize. you just got to follow it all the way to the end. And it makes the first half of three quarters of the book make sense, right? So, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your Lord. Your Lord that's great. Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem. That's that's the antithesis of the way he was speaking to them before. He was pretty much cursing them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? How many woes did we read in Isaiah last time we were together? Whoa. And he wasn't stopping the horse. Whoa. <laughs> so this makes me excited. I, I love this. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received of the Lord's hand double for her sins. That's talking about the final judgments, right? And when he punishes her, what does it say in the book? Is it Zechariah? When uh, in two days he will, he will, he will, you know, hit, hit you know, destroy, devour us and bite us, devour us, whatever it is. But on the third day, he will heal us. This is the answer to that. It's all in the prophecy. It's all in the book. Um, so her, that her iniquities are pardoned, she has received double for her sins. Verse 3, the voice of him. Listen to this. This is great. Now, what, 
Who was the beginning? Who was the beginning? John the Baptist, right? Listen to this. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness. Isn't that what it says in Matthew? Isn't that wonderful? The voice of him that cries, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah chapter 40. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verse 4. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough place is plain. And in verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now, who, who has said, I'm, it's a rhetorical question because you know the answer. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Who is the glory of God? It's Jesus Christ. And if you look at what he's saying here, all flesh will see it together when he comes in the second coming. This is, this is all, right? It all starts in the book of Matthew and ends up with that. But the one crying in the wilderness opens the door for the way to Messiah, for Messiah to come. Remember, he baptized Messiah, and then that begins the whole thing where he goes into the wilderness, and, and uh, the rest, as we say, is history. Now, let's go to... People still believe that the one crying in the wilderness is Elijah. Well, the Jews do, yeah, because the, and that's their confusion. Matter of fact, didn't Jesus say, who do men say I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah the prophet. Now, on, but on the, John, now with the, uh, um, uh, the, the Jews that believe in Christ mm -hmm. uh, came to realize they know now. Yeah, right. But, uh, it's not a liar anymore. That's so right. But that's only them. And that's, just, I mean, uh, like, as Christians, right, they have to be, they, they, believers, they have to be believers. They have, to, they have to make it to the book of John. <laughs> That's the stumbling block for them. They have to make it to the book of John. Um, anyway, so I'm going to go to Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3, and read that. Listen to that. In light of what we just read. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen to this. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying... The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Now, that is totally undeniable, and it just happens to be chapter 40, which happens to be mapping into the book of Matthew. Wouldn't you say those are exact, identical? That is amazing, right? Let's go further. Chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41 corresponds with Mark. Obviously, Mark most pointedly presents Jesus as the most humble servant and selfless, and that's the meek shall inherit the earth and all that stuff, right? So we read quickly from Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 through 14. Chapter 41, verse 8. But you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. You are whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called you from the chief men thereof and said unto you, You are my servant. Listen to this. Now, Think of what was said in Mark about Jesus. You are my servant. I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Verse 10. Fear you not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand of my right with the right hand of my righteousness. Verse 11. Behold, all they that were incensed against you shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with you shall perish. Now, we can see two major parallels here, right? 
Israel and Jesus. It's the same parallel, the same things. But we know that he's calling my servant in chapter 41. In chapter 40, remember he's saying, speak words of comfort to Jerusalem. And we saw the parallels as one crying in the wilderness. Because the, the promise of the coming Messiah, especially as, as, as articulated by John the Baptist, was the words of comfort. And that's when he started baptizing people. No Messiah, the promised one that was, by the way, and even said verbatim, prophesied in the book of Isaiah, is coming. It's here. Amazing. So um, Isaiah 41, verses 12 to 14. You shall seek them and you shall not find them, your enemies. Even them that contend with thee, they, are, they that war against you shall be as nothing and as thing as naught. For I, the Lord, your God, will hold you with my right hand, saying unto you, Fear not, I will help you. Now listen to this, verse 14. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, and you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. We know that's Jesus right there, right? So this directly compares to Mark's account of Jesus, where he is presented most intently as the son of the son of uh, the son sent of to Israel, the son of Israel, basically, right through Israel to, to them to give them wise teaching and counsel, and most pointedly, the humble servant of God and His people, as he strictly went about doing only His Father's will for their benefit, right? The most humble servant. That's all he did. He was God's slave to do His will sent to the people of Israel, right? Listen to this, Mark chapter 10, verses 43 to 45. This is Jesus' words here. But so shall it not be among you, but whoever shall be great among you shall be your minister or your servant. And whoever of you will be the chief shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give life, give his life as a ransom for many. That's the poster boy mark of what Jesus did, right? I mean, that's what he came for. Um, I'm going to go to Mark 6 verses 1 through 4. And when he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him, and he went out from thence. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and his disciples followed him. And when the, uh, sorry, sorry, I, I, I mixed that up. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and that many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man said these things? And what wisdom is this which, gives, which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is, it not, this, is not this the carpenter's? The carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but is but a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kid, kid, kin, and in his own house. So you see, he's a, he's the humble servant being rejected, came to serve them. And that's all he was. And so you look at the parallels. So the final one here, uh, sorry, the second and the final one here, we'll be finished in a few minutes, is Isaiah chapter 42 corresponding with Luke. Now, we know that Luke presents Jesus as fully human. So let's read Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He's putting his spirit upon his son, right? 
the, the, the flesh Jesus, the, the human being. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, and the smoking flax he shall not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spreads forth the earth and that which comes out of it, he that gives breath unto pe the people upon it, and the spirit to them that walk therein, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will uphold the, your hand and will keep you and will give, will give you for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and to them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. So you see the, the physical salvation part of this, right? This is like a physical salvation piece, breaking them out of prison. You see what it's alluding to, physical man type of salvation stuff, right? Someone, someone like giving you pardon, like a governor or something, or helping you break out. So let's do the parallel here. Uh, Isaiah, sorry, Luke chapter 4, 16 through 30. Um, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and, and as is his custom, he was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Didn't we just read that in Isaiah? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, breaking them out of jail. Didn't we just read that? And to recover, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, we just read that verbatim in Isaiah chapter 42. And he closed the book. You know, he didn't read the rest of it because the rest of it is the future judgment he's going to bring. He closed the book and he sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture. And we just read that scripture, part of it in Isaiah. Um, was fulfilled in your ears and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth and they said is not this Joseph's son physical son they didn't believe he was so here again it's this physical stuff the physical breaking out of a prison the physical comfort the physical recovering of the blind you see how that maps into this physical human being stuff and then he says here um, verse 23 and he said unto them, You will surely say unto this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whoever, whatever, whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in this country. Truly, or verily, I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Isaiah. When the heaven was shut up, sorry, Elijah, Elijah, I'm sorry, Elijah. When the heavens was shut up three years and six months and the great famine was throughout Israel. But when none of them was, when, but unto none of them was Elias sent unto the, unto Sar, Sarpeta. Is that what your translation says? Yeah, Zarephath. I think it's obviously this is King James. It's a city in Sidon <laughs> unto a woman that is a widow. Many, many, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of, Elijah the prophet and none of them were cleansed saving Nahum the Syrian okay Elijah 
And all they in the synagogue who, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him into the brow of the hill where, where on their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. So there was a miraculous walking through the Mount of Precipice, right? So we're going to wrap up in just two minutes here with Isaiah 43 mapping into John. And that'll be the end. Very short. Very short. So, um, uh, let's see. Isaiah 43, chapter 1. But now thus says the Lord that created you, O Jacob, and he that formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. That's a God thing right there. You see how Luke had the physical breaking free and the physical blind? It's not saying any of that here. This is purely redemption, just like the book of John is different from the synoptic gospels. Purely divine stuff. I have called you by name. You are mine. And he says in John, now if we go to John chapter 10 and verses, verse 3, he called his own sheep by name. This you are mine thing and leaves them out. Verse 4, they know his voice. Verse 16 of chapter 10, they shall hear my, Jesus' voice. Verse 27 of chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Isaiah 43, chapter 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, your King. Divinity. John chapter 1, verse 49. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Isaiah 43. Uh, did, I, did I have the wrong verse here? It looks like I... I must have mixed up the verse. It says 15, but it says here, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Isaiah 15, 43.15. So what was, the, what was the first one? I am the Lord. I am the Lord, your Holy One, your King. I, I think I said that was Isaiah 43.15. Is, is that the first half of it? Okay. Oh, so, did I, so what, what did I do here? I am the Lord. Okay. Okay, that's it. Okay, so let's go to John chapter 1, verse 3, because I don't think I made a mistake there. <laughs> but listen, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Isaiah 43, chapter, uh, chapter 43, verse 19. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That's a miracle thing, right? That's not a human thing. So finally, we, hear, we have here uh, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. And that's the end of the comparison. But isn't that amazing? I mean, that's what I, when I, when I finally, when I decided to wrap it up in the New Testament there with the, just the four Gospels, it's totally stark. But if you think about it, Isaiah is the most quoted book in the New Testament, of, in the Old Testament. So I think next time we meet, I'm just going to wrap up the book of Isaiah with the key prophetic points in there because there's a lot we haven't covered, just the key ones, and we'll wrap up the book of Isaiah. All right? But um, I, I think... I just, it just blew me away, and I was so grateful that, that I did that study, that I kind of forced myself to do it because I wanted to... You know, it's only that in the, most of the synagogues, the real synagogues, I'm not talking about the 
Messianic Jews. They still believe that Isaiah. They don't. They have Isaiah. If they have the Bible there, and they and they have Isaiah, but they don't in the synagogue. They don't read Isaiah fifty two. Fifty three. And if you come to a rabbi and try to ask him about Isaiah fifty three, they say, "Oh, that thing happened before. That doesn't happen now." But now with the uh, Messianic Jews, now Isaiah fifty three is a big thing with them. Good. Right, right. now. Yeah. Right. Well, we said so before. They, just like what God says, you know, they believe that they were the ones supposed to open our eyes. That, you right. Know, now, and we believe that we have to open their eyes. <laughs> right. And and it is it, it is technically it's illegal in Israel today. What? To to proselytize to a Jew. It is illegal. Well, I, I don't know, but I tell you, I I I don't know. I that. But but people do said, it. Jonathan went to Israel. And uh, he opened his mouth like in no door frame because he's been called by, by the oh, yeah. White House, by the White House to come and talk. Well, he did, yeah, right, yeah. You know, and when uh, and that guy was going to. Well, he spoke to Congress, right? To Congress. And and, and Congress. the president never showed up for that. It was for the, it was for the, for the breakfast, was, I think. He was traveling, I think. Right, but the Pope came too, and spoke last year, and everybody loved that. So, I, I know what you're saying. Um, but I do know that there are people who go to Israel and witness anyway. I mean, but you know, at least you won't die for witnessing in Israel, and you can have yourself a press pass, and and, be, and then if you're pressed, you can pretty much say whatever you want in Israel. But um, hey, I got to tell you something real quick. One of the products from EMC. Did you ever hear of RecoverPoint? EMC's RecoverPoint. You, you probably never heard of it. RecoverPoint. It's it's this data protection and recovery technique where you can replicate data or you can make a copy of it but you can you can snapshot it so you can have any point in time recovery it's, it's that kind of technology so it's not just backup it's any point in time recovery okay well that product which is recover point was actually called kasha and it was made by a company in israel it was invented in israel so emc bought it many years ago but they still do a lot of their engineering and and they have a, emc has a center of excellence in herzliya israel so having said that RecoverPoint is one of the products I deal with as a product manager. And as I was a course developer, now I'm a product manager. So I'm, I'm getting prepared to help them prepare a summit for this new release in Franklin, Massachusetts. And so I'm sort of like helping them set this up. So there's this, there's this point person. She's the global services leader for RecoverPoint. And she's an Israeli. And she's in, in, in Herzliya. She actually lives there. She's an Israeli citizen. She speaks English, but she's got this heavy... Israeli accent. She's got four children and she's Israeli to the bone, right? So I've been speaking to her a lot. Now, you know, they're seven hours ahead there. So when I was speaking to them on a conference call this morning, it was 6.30 at night there. So I hear her kids in the background. But I had to talk to her about some key things I needed after this conference call. So I had her stay on the phone for just me and her. And so this was the beauty of it. God set this up. This was a wonderful opportunity. So just me and her. She's in Israel. I'm here. And we're talking and we're talking about her family and, and you know, my family and, and everything. And she said that her son, her oldest son, is 18, and he's going to be going into the IDF soon. And she's very, very concerned because they, they get drafted. And she said that mostly what she's concerned about, what they do there is, if you're a fine physical specimen, they put you in the Army to be in combat. They put you on the yeah. front lines. They put you somewhere, like she said, they won't have him working on computers or working on communications equipment or doing office work. He's an able-bodied, strong young man, and, they, and she's scared because, and I, I said, I, you know, they might deploy him to the Golan. 
they might deploy him to somewhere else, and you know what's going on. And I told him, so I took that opportunity, right? And I said to her, I said, believe it or not, I said, I know, I know a lot of what's going on there, and I feel, I feel for Israel. I said, my heart is for you. Now, there's a lot of Israelis who they say they believe in God, and, and they really, they do, but they don't know the Bible. And she's probably one of them, because she said, all I want is peace. Now, if you know the Bible, you know that, that ain't that, what this is all about. So I took the opportunity. And I explained to her some things from the basis of Scripture of what's happening there and why, who these Palestinians are, and the land of Jordan, which was Transjordan in the British mandate that was given to them, but they decided to stay. And, and she's saying, wow, you know so much. I said, it's because I love the Scripture. And I, and I said, we have the same God. I said, they say their God is Allah. It is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the God that you and that's I serve. That's what they are. That's not what they are. Well, I know that, but I'm, I'm, ta I'm talking about that's what the Palestinians yeah. say. And I said, so, and I said, if you look at the Quran, all of a sudden they want Jerusalem. This is what the fight's over. Yeah. Jerusalem's not even mentioned in the Quran. Yeah. Their whole thing was Mecca and that black cube, right? But anyway, I talked to her so much about Jacob and Esau fighting in the womb of Rebekah, and I said from there is when it started, and I talked to her about the Herodian Temple, which was destroyed in 8070, and she was marveling at hearing it. And I didn't go anything to the Christian well, they side. Know that. They don't, because as soon as I heard her say, all I want is peace, yeah. it's like, okay, that tells me you don't have any opinion about who yeah. the Palestinians, because I've heard a Christian man who will go unnamed, but he's a pastor in some church near here, and he said, and you know who I'm talking about, because I've mentioned this before, and this is my point. I'm not disparaging anybody. But by what people say, you can know what they, mean, what they think, right? So where she says all she wants is peace, she has no clue, right? This pastor said, uh, the Palestinians are just like the Israelis. All they want is a home. Just by saying that, I know you have no clue of what you are talking about.